We live in stories. We live in stories. Each of us, all the time. These stories often define who we are, or who we think we are, or who we think we should be. Now, these stories may be true, they may be false, they may have served their purpose at one time, or maybe still do, but if they don't, they're no longer stories we need to embrace, and we need to jettison them and let them go. So what stories do you hold about yourself, about God, about prayer? Sometimes I think we get stuck in a story or a myth about ourselves that's no longer true and maybe was never true. Like when we were younger, I'm not talented enough to go out for track or drama or try out for the football team or ballet, or maybe now. I can't try a new job or a new career. I can't move. I can't try something new, so I won't. Have you ever said to yourself, I can't draw or dance or sing, so I'm not even going to try? Have you ever said to yourself, if I make a mistake, others will laugh at me, so if I pretend I'm not here, no one will see, and I don't have to put myself out there? Or, I don't need God. I don't need to pray. Prayer is for the weak. I already know what to do, and I'll just do it. Regardless of where we fit in anywhere underneath that umbrella, these kind of interior stories keep us trapped, contained from living the freedom that we are God's beloved. Mark Nepo writes that at some point we come to the end of the path where the story that we're holding about ourselves is no longer life-giving or helpful, and yet we still keep playing out the narrative and the storyline, the plot of that story. Hard as it is, it's at that time where we come face to face where we can no longer do what we think we should do or what we have been doing, where the real inner work of the Spirit and the spiritual life begins, regardless of how old we are. Now, some of you have heard me tell this story before, Something you haven't heard, though. The story is this. When I was two, I had a major tongue injury that required surgery, and then eight years of speech therapy after that. And one of my questions to God when we come face to face is, why am I doing what I'm doing as a profession? But that's a whole nother conversation. The inner story I told myself was when I was younger, and I still hear it play out in my mind occasionally, not too often today, thank God, is that you can't speak. So when I was young, I didn't. I didn't speak out loud in settings, in school, in church school, only at home. Now, for whatever reason, for about two years, because I couldn't pronounce R's or S's, but I could pronounce the letter L. I could make that sound with my tongue. Everything that came out of my mouth began with the letter L. So instead of being Jeffrey Gaines, I was Leffrey Lanes. Sad and pathetic, but that's the way it was. So what stories do you hold that are no longer true about you 
about God, about prayer. Our gospel this morning is that from St. Luke, which contains, in a sense, Jesus' ABCs of how to pray, which I believe also talks or speaks to the stories that we hold, those inner narratives that we believe or we think we believe about God, about prayer, which, of course, always point back to ourselves. So listen to these words, if you'd like to follow along, they're printed in your bulletin insert from the Gospel of St. Luke. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Rabbi, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, O God, or our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you anything because he is your friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you, if a child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if a child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will God in heaven Give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask. The disciples and Jesus were on their way to Jerusalem. That's where the context of this story, this teaching takes place. And in route, Jesus, as was his way, would occasionally stop and pray. And on this particular occasion, after Jesus had finished doing just that, one of his disciples said, Rabbi, teacher, Teach us to pray as John, meaning the Baptist, taught his disciples. So Jesus does so by teaching them a prayer that's very familiar to all of us, or most of us, known as the Lord's Prayer. But the version recorded in Luke is an abbreviated form of the one that we're familiar with and we use liturgically, and we'll pray today, that's recorded from the Gospel of St. Matthew. After Jesus had taught this prayer, he ended by saying, I tell you. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So how do you ask, seek, and knock? I believe first we need to look at whatever stories we hold about God that inform our asking and seeking and knocking. Do we listen to those interior narratives that say, I'm not good enough to pray, so I can't ask? 
I can't pray, so I won't seek how to do it. I don't know how to pray, so I won't knock on anyone's door to find out how I might. Or why would God listen to me anyway, so why even try? On the surface, the words knock, seek, ask, are external behaviors, actions, that express something that we do toward another to get what we want, desire, or need. But from a perspective of prayer, however, we are seeking, knocking, asking the other, the holy other, to do something like bring peace for the world, which is a prayer we've all been praying these past six or seven weeks, particularly. Give me discernment, heal my friend, comfort my spouse, provide me some clarity. The list goes on. Jesus answers the question, teach us to pray by first giving some simple, easy steps in the form of petitions. The first is to begin acknowledging God as God. Holy be your name, our God, our Father who art in heaven. This is a prayer of affirmation. Then he turns and says, your kingdom come, a prayer of intention. Your kingdom come, your sovereignty come, your realm come now in my life this moment. Give us daily bread, a prayer for physical need and sustenance. Forgive our sins, a prayer for right relationships, a prayer of forgiveness for those things that have kept us from God, from others, or even from ourselves. And then save us from the time of trial. Lead us not into temptation, a prayer of protection, a prayer of direction. Now, as I just said those, what did you notice in those petitions? Did you notice that each one, listen again, your kingdom come, give us food, forgive our wrongs, save us from temptation. Each one is a verb. Each one is implying action. Now. Not past tense, not future tense, but present tense. So we pray your kingdom come. That's not saying, well, maybe your kingdom might come someday. Is that okay, God? Or give us food. Not, if possible, might we have some food tomorrow? Forgive us our wrongs. Not, would you consider forgiving me sometime, please? Or save us from temptation. Not, if you have the time, lead me not into temptation, please. Jesus is telling us by these simple prayers, and each one, each one is a prayer in and by itself. They're simply grouped together. Each one is a petition. Jesus is telling us by these prayers that we're not to be timid, but tenacious. We're not to be tentative, but persistent. We're not to be pessimistic, but hopeful. For all prayer, all prayer has to do with trust, not doubt. And prayer. Prayer is simply conversation with God, like you would have with your child, or your parent, or your colleague, or your friend. Prayer is simply a conversation. It's not magic. You don't have to rub together certain words in a certain way to be able to be heard by the creator of the universe. 
Do you hold a story that prayer is something you can't do because there's only a particular way you're supposed to do it? Remember Genesis? After each act of creation, God said, this is good. Very, very good. Meaning, when we were birthed, when we were born, God said, you are good. Very, very good. If we are very, very good, if we are God's beloved, then how can we not be in conversation with the one that gave us life? And know that we have a right to be heard. Prayer is simply conversation. So after Jesus makes these assertions about how bold and radical prayer is, he expands his teaching with three illustrations, like a three-point sermon. First is literally a story about knocking. At midnight, you're in bed, and suddenly the doorbell is ringing, and a friend is banging on your door asking for three loaves of bread, or it could be a bag of chips of salsa, a bottle of wine, some grape coupon. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what is being asked for. It's midnight. Go away. Drop dead, you're thinking. Come back tomorrow. Because, but by the person's persistence, you get out of bed, give the person what they want, so you can get back to your business of sleeping. Then Jesus continues by two other illustrations. If someone asks for a fish, you wouldn't give that person a snake. Duh. Would you give something to someone other than what they ask? I really need a hammer. Here's a screwdriver. Thank you. Jesus is saying here with the next illustration, if a child asks for an egg, you wouldn't give the child a scorpion. That seems like so clear, why say it? Well, the disciples were a little daft, so he had it repeated a couple times. Now, what Jesus is saying here is that prayer is all about asking, seeking, knocking. Does this jive with your interior story of prayer? As a spiritual director, I cannot tell you how often when a person comes for their first direction session with a presenting issue or a question like, I'm in between jobs or relationships, I'm in a tight place with my spouse or my partner or my colleague at work, and I don't know what to do, I'm seeking some discernment or direction in my life. When the conversation gently moves to God, to prayer, I can't tell you how often the conversation becomes flat. It stops. It's as flat and lifeless like a Formica countertop. This is always an indicator that the person is holding on to a story about himself, herself, God, or prayer that is no longer life-giving nor helpful and needs to be jettisoned, discarded. So what stories, my friends, do you hold about prayer, about God, and about your relationship with this mystery of the universe? What Jesus is getting at here, telling his disciples, and by extension us, are these things when we pray. First, be specific. Give us food. Provide for my needs. Lead us not into temptation. Keep me from bad, sort, bad choices. 
Forgive me for those things I have done and wish I hadn't had done, but I did do and continue to do. Second, trust that your prayer will be answered. I think this is the hardest one for most of us. Trust in that our prayer will be answered and will be heard. The pinch is it may not be answered in the way that we intend. And so the invitation is to pray with open hands and not closed fists. Because a closed fist boxes God in. And so we miss God's way to the answer, thinking it's not our way, so we think that God is out of the way, or that God is not listening to me. First, be specific. Second, trust. Third, be persistent. Don't give up. Don't give in. To some interior story that says that God won't respond, be like that person at the door. I need a bottle of salsa, and I need it right now. Fourth, Know that God will give you what you need. You won't get something like a scorpion when you ask for an egg. You won't get a hammer when what you really need is a screwdriver. And finally, trust. Trust, believing that your prayers are heard and be grateful. That's it. There's nothing more complicated than that. So how do you ask Seek. Knock. This week when you pray, however that may be, you may be jogging, you may be sitting quietly in front of a candle, you may be caring for an elderly parent or caring for a young infant, you may be doing tasks at the office that you just want to get done. Ask the question, how do I seek? Ask, knock. And see if there's stories that you're holding on to that you no longer need to. And let them go. So be it.